You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. So, every week, usually on Monday or Tuesday, I take about 45 minutes out of my schedule, and I re-watch the previous Sunday's message. I've, I've been doing it for years. It's just a self-evaluation, a critique where I ask myself, how, how could I have done that better? What would I do differently? Was there anything that created confusion that I'll need to go back the next Sunday and fix or repair? And it, it's just a way of sort of taking some inventory about how I'm doing as a communicator. And it's interesting that because I've been doing it for so long, I, I start to notice that there's certain patterns in my life as a teacher and some things that I'm not really sure that I want to, you know, continue as patterns. And so um, what I'll notice from time to time is that when I get really excited about something and I get really passionate about it, I can actually sound kind of strident, sort of like I'm disappointed or, um, you know, put out with the audience. And I'm like, ooh, I don't want to do that. I don't like people talking to me like that. I don't like people yelling at me. So um, I don't want to do that to an audience. I, I've, I've always taken the perspective that, you know, we're big people, we're adults, and uh, we're intelligent and capable. So just, just give me the information and then I'll make the choices based on what I decide is best to do for me. And so that's, that's how I want to, you know, respond to you as an audience is I just want to give you the information and then you guys can decide what you're going to do with it. No matter how important I may think it is, you may decide something differently. So every once in a while, I just have to remind myself, Paul, just, just talk to people. Just talk to the people. And then the second observation that I make is that I tend to um, move toward, um, you know, a lot of instruction and I talk about, you know, growth and progress and change and doing better and doing more and how we can improve. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that because we all have areas of our life where we could get better. We could improve. And so um, that's a good thing. But sometimes this can just be relentless. And there's, there's value in just stopping to, you know, just encourage people and support them and reassure us in, in what we're doing as Christ followers. And, and so today, that's what I want to do. Today, I want to offer you some encouragement. Today, I want to I help you with some perspective on um, understanding a little bit about how life works and how we work in the midst of living our lives. And so um, I, I brought a chair today. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down, kind of you know, cool the engines a little bit. I may get up from time to time, but uh, I, I just want to talk to you, and and I want to talk to you about some lessons that we can learn from baseball. That's been our theme all summer, and I, I've had a couple of people say, "Why baseball? I mean, what does baseball have to do with church?" And I go, "It's it's just it's just an arena of life." that we can learn some valuable lessons from. It's like Jesus, when he taught, he taught from things that people experienced in everyday life. He said, look at the birds of the air. Look at the ant. Look at the, the flowers of the field or the grasses. Look, look at this tree. 
Look at these olives, look at these grapes, look at this farmer, look at this fisherman. And so he just drew parallels from experiences of life. And so we chose baseball this summer as, as a way that we could make some parallels to this, this whole discussion of our spiritual journey. So here's an interesting thing about baseball. I, I'm not a big fan of watching baseball on television. If I'm at the stadium, I love the game of baseball. It moves a little slow on TV. And, and here's the deal. About 90% of a baseball game generally centers around what's happening at the center of the field between the pitcher and the batter. All right? Now, yes, other things go on during the game. Somebody steals a base. Somebody, you know, robs somebody of a, of a home run with some spectacular catch over the outfield wall. That happens, but not that often. Primarily, it's this battle between the pitcher and the batter. And they both have the same objective. Both the pitcher and the batter, they want to see each other fail. Do they not? So the pitcher, he's, he's coming up with a selection of pitches and throwing it at a certain velocity with the hope that the batter will not hit that ball. And for him to strike out the batter, that is success. Now the batter, on the other hand, his success is to watch the pitcher fail. To be able to get his bat on one of those pitches, and whether it's a single, a double, a triple, a home run... That's success for the batter. Even a walk is somewhat of a success. It doesn't feel quite as heroic, but at least he's on base. And now he can make a contribution to his team, hopefully. So I want us to take a few minutes this morning. And I want you to think a little bit about life. So in the game, the, the batter, he comes to the box doing his very best to get his bat on that ball, to get on base, and to make some sort of contribution to his team. And here's this pitcher out on the mound doing everything and conspiring with the catcher and the other coaches on the field, conspiring to see to it that that batter fails. I think, I think life is a little like that at times. That like the batter, we just step in the box. We're hoping to do our very best to make contact and to do something to help the team. And it feels at times like life conspires against us and all it wants to do is see us fail. We just want to get on base. We just want to move around the bags and score one for the team, whether that's as a parent or in our marriage or in our jobs or in our friendship. We, we just want to do the right thing. We just want to do something that feels like it's successful in our endeavor. And yet life continues to make that really, really difficult. In fact, if, if we want to just keep the metaphor, it's, it's, like, it's like life continues to throw us curveballs and sliders and fastballs and breaking balls and it makes it really really hard for us to do what it is that we hope to do so let, let's let's have a little fun here this morning we're gonna take a little liberty will you give me some liberty let's 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 take some of the popular pitches and describe them in the terms of, the, of uh, how life works so the curveball 
You ever feel like in life when things change at the very last minute, you've made all these plans, you had everything in order, then at the last minute, everything changes? Your life was coming at you straight, and then suddenly right at the last minute, it just drops off, and you're like, ah, oh, I was all ready, and then, then it changed on me. Life sometimes throws us curveballs. A change-up, when all of your plans are totally ruined, Again, you were doing your very best to get everything in order and then suddenly choices of other people or circumstances outside of your control and everything changes and all your plans are for naught. That's pretty frustrating. How about this, a sinker, when you watch all of your hard work just disappear. Maybe in your career, you had some very specific objectives and you've been working against that for 15, 20 years, and then everything at your company changes. And the opportunity is now no longer available to you. Here's one, this is one of the worst pitches, the screwball. That's when things happen that are completely unfair. I'll let you interpret that as, as you might. Um, when, when you're doing your very best, but somebody else with ill motive, somebody else who doesn't have your best interests in mind does something that is completely unfair, completely unjust, and here you are caught in the backwashes of somebody else's anger or revenge or lack of forgiveness toward you. How about a breaking ball? Breaking ball, when things happen that hurt your heart or crush your spirit, like the death of a loved one or a divorce that you'd, you didn't really want. Your teenager makes a choice that you would not have wanted for them, but they went ahead and made it. And now the backwash of the consequences for that choice not only has, has irreparably damaged their life, but also maybe the life of your family and your heart hurts and your spirit's crushed. Or life feels a little like this when things come at you faster than you can keep up. I mean, you're trying your best, but with work and with family and with marriage and all the commitments that you've said yes to, life is just coming at you 100 miles an hour and you, you wake up every day with almost a sense of dread, like, oh man, it's just here it is again. How in the world am I gonna get all of this done? And then the knuckleball, which is characterized as sort of dancing through the air as it comes toward the plate, is, is when things become so unpredictable, you, you don't know what to do. Like some of you, 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 you thought you were close to retirement. But not in this economy. Everything's changed. And now you, it's so unpredictable and so crazy and up and down that you don't even know where to put your investments anymore because it's just, it's so unpredictable. So like a pitch, life comes at you fast. And sometimes with some really crazy twists and turns, making it really difficult for us to handle this thing that we've been invited to do and that is to live a life i mean just, just look at the list sometimes it's with school i, I can remember I, I just did a recommendation for a, a good friend who's going back to school <laughs> 
honest truth, I signed the recommendation. And I'm like, better her than me. I, I still have like PTSD from, from graduate school because it was just relentless paper after paper after paper. Or, or maybe you're trying your best at your work, but things at work are so bizarre right now. All these conflicting ideologies and, 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 and social sorts of things happening at your job and it's making it uh, your marriage. Maybe your marriage right now is throwing you some curveballs. You're like, well, I, I thought we trusted each other. I'm not so sure right now. I thought we were in this forever. Maybe it's your health. You went to the doctors and they did some tests and you got the results back and it wasn't good. And you're scared. Maybe it's just getting older. And you're like, wow, I'm running out of time. And now nothing works right anymore. And I'm always sore and I can't sleep through the night without having to go to the potty five times. And it's like, what is this? And sometimes it's like our faith. Like all these things that we, we were taught to believe about God. And then we kind of like put them up against real life. And I go, I don't know if that really is true. I mean, if God was with me, like you always tell me, preacher, then he seems really, really far away from me right now. I, I, can't, I can't connect. You see, unlike baseball, life is not a game. It's, it's serious business. And a lot rides on, on every at-bat, whether you're a parent or a partner or an employee or a friend, there's a lot at stake. But just like in baseball, we win some and we lose some. Even the very best baseball players, okay, you ready, you listening? Even the very best baseball players strike out more times than they get hits. More baseball players walk slowly back to the dugout having struck out than who make it to base. And even when they do connect, more of them hit singles than they hit home runs. And we need to understand that about life. That in life, it's possible that we're going to strike out more often than we hit. And we may make a life, we make a life of simply singles instead of doubles and triples and home runs. I look at my life over the last, I'm about to turn 60. Um, over the last 60 years, I go, you know, my life has basically been strikeouts and singles. But there's something about coming back to the box stepping up to the plate and taking some more swings. And the truth of the matter is if you get a single, you're at least in position to keep moving around the bags. If we expect that we're gonna hit it out of the park or get on base every single time at bat, here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna get really, really frustrated. 
We're going to get really, really frustrated if we think we should be hitting it out of the park every single day, every single time, every single situation. It's just not possible. And sometimes we have to be reminded about that because we live in a pretty intense society that drives us toward this image of success. And it doesn't allow for a lot of grace and mercy when we strike out. I've always loved this quote, Theodore Rubin said, the problem is not that there is problems. The problem is expecting otherwise and thinking that having problems is a problem. There ought to be more bumper stickers. Problems happen. It's the way of life. The fact that problems exist is not meaning, does not mean that my life is a failure or that it's going all wrong. It just means it's life. Now, now where do the problems come from? I mean, what are the origins of most of the problems that we encounter in the course of our life? The consequences of our own poor choices, some of that is on us. All of us, we make poor choices from time to time. And those poor choices, whether we can see it in advance or not, typically not, because if we could see it in advance, we probably wouldn't make the same choice, but we, we make choices and they have consequences. They have relational consequences, they have financial consequences, they have spiritual consequences. That some of us, we, at times, we, we all of us, we make poor choices. We're impetuous, we, we do something because we're impatient or we're naive about the way we understand a situation and we end up doing something that we, we, we shouldn't have done. So some of our problems are the consequences of our own poor choices. Here's the really hard one. Sometimes it's just the foolishness of others. Other people make foolish choices that have consequences not, on their, not only on their life, but on our life. This happens in families quite a bit. This happens in marriages. This happens with people who are raising children. Sometimes other people make foolish choices and it has ramifications on our life too. But here's another one that I don't think we stop and really think about enough. And that is the fact that we live in a fallen world. The Bible is very clear that there was a time that God created the universe and it was perfect and it operated perfectly. And then God in his grace, he gave human beings the power to choose. And we as human beings, we made a choice. And one of those choices was to push God out. And then sin happened. Sin filled that void, that vacuum of pushing God out of our lives. And so sin complicated the world, everything about it. So some of the problems that we exist... They are completely outside of our control. There wouldn't, it wouldn't matter how much planning you did. It wouldn't matter how wise you might be. We just live in a world that's complicated by sin. And it creates problems. And some of those problems find their place in our life. And then there's a fourth one. This is one that can be confusing at times. Is Sometimes the problems that happen are the divine work of God's discipline in our life now we hear the word discipline we often think about spanking that's that's not how the words used in the scriptures 
It's about God creating some structure and some definition and some purpose to our lives to say, I want you to go about your life this way. And when we ignore that and we become arrogant and rebellious against God's design, at times we'll create problems for ourselves and God comes to work on our behalf to say, hey, what you're doing is dangerous. It comes with severe consequences. So I'm trying to stop you from making this mistake. Does that make sense? But when we don't want any of that to be true and we just want life to be comfortable and convenient, everything goes like the way that we want it to, here's the problem with that. If we go through life thinking there shouldn't be any problems, we create that as an expectation then what we're left with is feeling irritated and frustrated and disappointed when life doesn't go like we think it should. Does that make sense? If you think your life should be perfect and it should be without problems, then when you encounter problems, you just get irritated. Like where in the world did that come from? Why in the world is that happening? And here's the bottom line. That's a really lousy way to live, to always live irritated and frustrated and disappointed. Folks, listen to me, especially if you're in the room and you're raising kids. Listen to me. It's really, really important that parents teach their children this reality that life has problems. Because when we go trying to manage and protect our children from ever encountering problems, then listen, we're crippling them for the rest of their life. You're setting your children up for failure when you protect and helicopter them from ever having to encounter problems or disappointment or difficulty or waiting for something. You're hurting them. The home ought to be the place on earth where a child is free to fail and experience problems and difficulties and disappointments because they have a loving set of family of parents and siblings to ride through the lessons of that disappointment. But when we keep that from happening in the lives of our kids, we're really not helping them, we're hurting them. And this is of particular importance when it comes to our faith. When we assume that God's love and power ought to protect us from the difficulties in life, and lots of people do, they think, hey, if I'm a Christian and I'm following Jesus, then God's going to love me and he's so powerful, he's sovereign, that he ought to protect me from any kind of difficulty then what we do is we set ourselves up for disappointment, discouragement, and disillusionment. We become disappointed in God. We become disappointed in God's truth, and we think, no, nah, that doesn't really work. Or we become disillusioned, like, well, maybe, maybe this God stuff isn't even real. And I'm just, I'm just the sucker who's fallen for the big lie. And when we find ourselves here, that's really devastating to our faith. Especially when we stop to realize that a strong faith is usually forged in the face of difficulty. Did you follow that? 
This great faith that we long for is often forged when life is the hardest. Uh, look at this, uh, James chapter 1. Uh, James is writing to these early Christians. He says, consider it joy. Like when everything goes wrong, consider it joy. So you're either a nitwit or a repairman when everything goes wrong and you find it a good thing, all right? So, cons- you guys didn't get that, but... <laughs> Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, difficulties, disappointment, problems, trials of many kinds, because you know as a Christian that the testing of your faith, it actually has a benefit. It produces stamina, endurance, perseverance. You get stronger so you can go further and longer in the face of difficulty. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may grow up and be mature and be complete, not lacking anything that you need for life. And how does that come about? Through trials. Look at Romans 8. We know, this is the faith of a Christian. Here's stuff that we put our confidence in. We know that in all things, the good and the bad, the easy and the hard, the disappointing and the delightful, all things, God's at work. There's never an experience in our life that God's not up to stuff. He's, he's at work for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknow, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. So what God's doing through the work of difficulty is he's shaping a better reflection of Jesus in you. But if we try to avoid difficulty and we try to run away from pain, then we miss the opportunity of looking more like Jesus because we miss the opportunity of God being at work in our life. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. He he didn't sugarcoat it. Like he told us straight up, guess what? There's going to be problems. I mean, I got a quote from him, John chapter 16. I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. Look at this. In this world, you will have what? Problems happen. But take heart. I know the rest of the story. I've overcome the world. John tells us greater is he who is in you than he is who is in the world. But Jesus was telling us the truth. Guess what? Life is hard. There's going to be trouble. And if you continue to explore that particular theme in the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus, here's what he's saying. You guys ready? It's going to be really hard if you decide to be a Christian. Because following Christ at times is going to bring some hardships into your life that other people who are not Christians may never experience just because of your commitment to stand for the things of God. So Jesus tells us there's going to be problems. There's going to be challenges and difficulties. Don't be surprised. Here's a a great passage. I love this, uh, Matthew chapter 7. In fact, if you have your Bible, um, turn with me because this will be just a good passage for you you to know where to find. Matthew chapter 7. Look at this. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone, so who's this? Everyone. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian or non-Christian, the advice that he's about to offer 
will work for you. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, the words of Jesus. In fact, this, this particular quote of Jesus is coming at the conclusion of the one me entire message that we have of Jesus in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. So he's coming to the conclusion, which is your favorite part, right? When I come to the conclusion. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So it's not just about hearing them. It's doing something with them. He's like, or she's like a wise person who built his house on rock. And here's what happens. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Why? Because its foundation was built on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, and here's, here's the break, but does not put them into practice. Uh, I don't believe in that Jesus stuff. Oh, that's just, that's just myth. That's just legend. I don't really, Jesus, I don't. I don't think Jesus really said that, or I don't really think it works. He said, whoever hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, well, he or she, they're like a foolish person. And they, they decided they wanted to build their house on the sand, because how cool would that be, a house on the beach? The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. So what's the difference? What's the difference? That one of them built a house on rock, one of them built a house on sand. So it all comes back to a foundation. But what is it that they shared in common? What they shared in common was storms. Either wise or foolish, both of them, the winds came and the rains fell and the streams rose. Because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You will encounter the storms of life at some point in your life if you haven't already. You will. It's inevitable. Why? Because it's part of life. The difference is how you weather the storm. And in Jesus' teaching, he says, there's a wise way to weather a storm, and there's a foolish way. And the wise way is that you take the wisdom of God, and you put it into practice with how you're going to go about your life. Or you can foolishly dismiss the things that God has to say, and think, well, they don't work, or they don't apply. And then you can try building your house without the wisdom of God. And when the storms happen, God says, the consequences can be severe. Does that make sense? First Peter, Peter writes this, in all of this, and he's talking about the troubles of life, uh, primarily related to them being followers of Jesus. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. There's, that's the theme of James again. You greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these things have come 
so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than all the money in the world, which perishes even though refined by fire, it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. In other words, it's worth following God through the difficulty and the pain and the hard because at the end, it proves that God is faithful and true and his promises can be trusted. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith. And that is the most precious thing in all of life. And that's the salvation of your souls. Okay, so we got, we got to wrap up here. Otherwise, we'll be in extra innings. <laughs> so in baseball language, expect hard to hit pitches. Don't be surprised that life throws curveballs and sinkers and sliders and fastballs. It's part of life. And the sooner we work our way through being surprised that hard things happen, the better position we are to really then navigate our way through life in a healthy way. Second lesson, strikeouts happen. We all do it. I have struck out more than I've gotten on base. We all strike out. But that's what grace is for. God offers us this amazing kindness called grace. And he goes, you know what? I have grace for the strikeouts. It's okay. I still love you. You're still my child. You're still my son and my daughter. I know that strikeouts happen. And so I have the grace to weather your strikeouts. But this last one, I think, is the key. Keep stepping to the plate and taking swings. Don't give up. Just keep trying. Just keep going. I mean, look at these passages of scripture. Let us not become weary in doing good, trying our best, doing what we understand Jesus asked us to do. Let's not get tired doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. How? If we don't give up. You see, when we give up, we can't take in the harvest. First Corinthians, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, stay in the box, keep swinging. Let nothing move you. Pitcher tries to brush you back, you step back in there again, you're gonna get the next one. Let nothing move you. Always, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not useless. It's not in vain. So God is always with us. When life, whether brought about our own chore choices, our own poor choices, or by the foolishness of others, whether the nature of life in a fallen world or the design of God's discipline, here's the deal. What we need to remember about difficulty in life is that our Heavenly Father didn't promise to protect us from it, but to walk with us through it. 
So when you're going through difficulty and pain and challenge, guess what? That is the moment in your life that God is the closest to you. He's promised to walk with you through your greatest challenges, your biggest problems, your deepest hurts. But here's the real question. Will you go through it with him? He's promised to go through it with you, but will you go through it with him? Because I've, you know, I've been a pastor now for 30 plus years, and I've seen this time and time again. I get a front row seat on watching people go through life. And what I've seen is that when some Christians encounter difficulty or disappointment or pain, what they do is they start to doubt God. Or they get mad at God. In fact, I I spent a long season of my life really, really mad at God. And some people, they just end up walking away from God. Like, screw this, this doesn't work and I'm not going to bother with it anymore. And they just walk away at the moment when God is the closest. And then... Again, as a pastor, what I get to see is years later, I'll see him in church. And I don't even get to talk to him sometimes. But I'm like, okay, they're trying again. They're, they're moving back toward God for, for years. They've had their back toward God, their arms crossed. I'm like, God, forget that. God, that God stuff doesn't work. And then they run out of options. They show up here. And what I want them to know is that the whole time that they've been gone, God's been telling them, hey, I'll be here when you're ready. I see him in the grocery store. I said, hey, did I see you in the audience a couple Sundays ago? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I'm trying to, I don't get my life back together again. But I don't like coming to church. I go, I get that a lot. Um, (laughs) Why? And they go, I don't like the music. I go, what does that mean? Because every time we start to sing, I start to cry. And I don't like people seeing me cry. I go, you know what that is, don't you? They go, no. I go, that's God saying, it's good to see you. Glad you're home. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for you. God assures us that he patiently waits until we turn back toward him because he loves us and he never gets mad at us. He never gets mad at us for our little temper tantrums. He doesn't punish us. Well, Paul, if you're going to behave like this, it's it's just not his nature. He just loves you. He loves you. He doesn't punish us for our temper tantrums and he doesn't spitefully move on without us. He doesn't say, you know what? All right, I'm done with you. I'll go find somebody else who wants to do. He does it. He just waits. He just says, I'll be here when you're ready because I love you. Does that make sense? All right, I'm in big trouble because I'm over time. So I'll leave you with this. Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or curveballs or sinkers or sliders or failure or sin? What shall separate us from? No, in all of these things, no matter what life throws at us, all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who what? Who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, or any powers, or height, or depth, pretty much covers it all. Anything else in all of creation, nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what I wanted for you today. I don't care how many times you strike out. You still have a better ERA than I do. We all strike out. And God loves you. More than you can ever imagine. So don't keep from stepping back in the box and taking swings. Make sense? Let's just stand together. If you're new here today, I would love the opportunity to meet you. Be over here in the corner of the auditorium and uh, love, to, love to just make your acquaintance. So go on over here and take advantage of that. Our Father in heaven, you're so awesome. You're so incredible. You're so eternal. You're so infinite. And everything about you is infinite and eternal and awesome and incredible, including your love, which you never run out of. That no matter how many times we strike out, you're right there waiting for us in the dugout. You're not going to cut us from the team. You're not going to send us down to the minors. You're just going to keep loving us. May we learn how to live there. That nothing can separate us from your love. No matter what life throws at us. For that we are thankful. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Alright gang have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.